0: So my name is Joanne Hegemeyer, and I've been invited to uh, talk about Bartimaeus today. So that's what we're going to do. Um, but we're going to do even more than that. But before we do even more than that, uh, I want you to do, do something a little bit weird. I want you to put your hand over here so you can only just barely see it. And then put your hand over here until you can only just barely see it. Okay, but you can, you can kind of see it, right? All right, that, that's your... You guys look so cool. <laughs> it's like a new dance. Okay, um, so this is your peripheral vision. This is the scope of your vision. Now move your hands a little farther back so you can't see them. Are your hands still attached to your body? Yes, but you can't see them, right? Now I'm showing you what you can't see. You know it's true, but you can't see it. Now, if you put your hands forward, you can see the scope of your vision right now when you're looking around. And honestly, put your hands down now. Honestly, through daily life, you think about what you can see, right? You don't really think about what you can't see. You're not worried about it. You can't see it. And uh, that's kind of what today is about. It's about seeing, or not seeing, and not really realizing you're not seeing it. Like, you're aware that your hands are always attached to your body, but how often do you actually look and make sure, right? What if you couldn't see anything at all? You could never look to see if something was okay because you couldn't, like, see. You'd be blind. And that's Bartimaeus. But honestly, he could see a lot more than most people could see, even though he couldn't see at all. Now, I I hopefully have confused you completely um, about seeing. We're going to talk about the whole chapter of Mark today. So if you're the kind of person who likes to have your Bible open, this would be a good day to do it because we're going to cover the whole uh, book of Mark, but really, really fast until we get to the very last story. And uh, the reason why is that Mark has been building up to a climax. So he's taken this whole chapter to leave Easter eggs, like Easter eggs, you can't see them, but they're there. He's left these Easter eggs, and at the very end, you're going to have a basket full of eggs, and you're going to go, oh, that's what it means. So at the, the backdrop is Jesus, and he's walking along on, on some kind of excursion through the whole chapter. Crowds of people are gathering around him, and wherever he goes, Jesus like has compassion on these people, and he starts teaching them, and he tells them all kinds of things. By the end of the chapter we realize that he's actually on his final journey, and he's heading into Jerusalem. And so here's what happens along the way in chapter 10. Verses 1 through 11 uh, starts right out with the Pharisees coming up to Jesus, and they have a question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And I thought Julie did an amazing job teaching through that passage. Uh, Jesus has an answer, but it's actually a question. Now, kids, how many kids do we have left? Do we have any? We got one. We one right there, and we got one right here. Oh, we got a couple back here. Okay, so kids, here's how the chapter's going to work. And when I stop and say Jesus answers with a, that's your turn to say a question because you'll see how this works. It's very interesting. And there's one more thing. See that blue color on the bottom? When I come to a really important bit, it's going to be on a whole blue page. And that's the bit that if you like to write down notes, that'd be the time to do it. So um, that's when, if you can write, you write something down. And if you can't, then you jab somebody near you who can and ask them to write it down for you. Okay. All right. So Jesus answers with a question. Well, what did Moses command you? And they're like, oh, yeah, we got this. But then Jesus gave a teaching from a book that Moses had written, but it wasn't the one they went to. It was clear back in Genesis. And he said, but God has joined together. Let no one separate. Well, Nobody liked that answer. And the disciples were very disturbed, and, and they asked more questions. So, so that, that kind of stirred things up. Next section, verses 13 through 16. Uh, some people with kids were trying to get up close to Jesus, and, and Mark says the disciples spoke sternly to him. Jesus is an important man. You can't be barred. Don't you see all these other people? Kids, you've got to back off. Well, that made Jesus indignant, it says. And Jesus said, No. Do not prevent the children from coming to me. I want them to have access. Now, this was a perfect opportunity for Jesus to give a super important instruction about the kingdom of heaven, the nature of the kingdom of heaven. And here it is. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. Now, hold on to that. That's an Easter egg. Okay? Very important. All right, moving on. Verses 17 through 31, this was a very long story. A rich man starts approaching Jesus, and uh, he says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answered with a good job, (laughs) with a question. He said, "Uh, Why do you call me good? That's a good question. So they had this conversation, and then Jesus gives an answer to the rich man. He says, Look, Looks like you've done everything. You're rock solid. You only have one thing left to do. Just sell everything you have. Give it away and follow me. Now, remember that story, right? He didn't do it. And in fact, what Jesus had to say about that left the disciples feeling very troubled and perplexed. Now, I'm just pulling words out of of the gospel itself. That's what it says. The, The disciples were troubled and perplexed with what Jesus had to say. And Jesus said, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. Why do you think he used the word children? Right? He was leaning into something he had only just taught a few sentences before. And then he said, now look, it's true. For mortals, it is impossible, but not for God. For God, all things are possible. Now, I think Peter, uh, one of the reasons I think we love Peter is that he was kind of childlike in the Gospels. So anyway, Peter, he's, he's, he's piecing it all together. You can see the gears are going like this. And he goes, wait, wait a minute. Hey, we left everything so we could follow you. And I think Jesus must have smiled like, yes, the light bulb has just come on over your head. He said, Peter, let me reassure you, you're going to get back a hundredfold for everything that you gave up for me, plus eternal life. Then Jesus gave a foundational teaching about leadership to his disciples. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Another Easter egg. Hang on to that. Okay, next bit. Verses 32 through 34. It was right about this time that the disciples figured out what road they were on. Wait a minute. We're going to Jerusalem. And Mark says that the disciples were amazed and afraid about what Jesus had been saying, but I think they were also amazed and afraid that they're heading into that hornet's nest of Jerusalem because they knew that there was hardly a person in Jerusalem who even liked Jesus, let alone would listen to him or treat him well. And by the way, have you noticed that when someone doesn't like your friend, it's like guilt by association, they don't like you either? And so the disciples are thinking, they don't like Jesus. They're not going to like us either. I don't even know why we're going to Jerusalem, but they were. So Jesus thought this is going to be an excellent time to explain why they were heading to Jerusalem. And he talked about the cross in much more detail than he'd ever done before. Weirdly, next section, weirdly, this is when James and, thought, James and John thought it would be the perfect time to present their astonishing proposition. Isn't that weird? Okay, James and John, Rabbi, we want you to do for us whatever we ask for you. Now, you know, I used to try that with my dad. Just say, yes, Dad, okay? Thank you. And he would, you know, wait a minute. What is it that you want? And that's actually what Jesus did. The, the James and John asked a question, and Jesus answered with a kid's question. He answered with a question. He said, um, what is it you want me to do for you? Okay. So what they asked for were the two most prized positions in Jesus' entourage when he came into his glory. I'm not really sure how they equated cross with glory. But anyway, that's what they did. And what Jesus promised them was his cup. And their conversation gave Jesus the perfect opportunity to lean into that foundational teaching about leadership for the disciples. And here's what he said For whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life for a ransom for many. Thank you, Melanie, for that song, the ransom song. Perfect. You must have been reading this passage or something. Or it's the Holy Spirit. He's just like, play that song. Okay. So, here's what we're going to do. We're going to line up four mile markers on this journey. Jesus is headed to Jerusalem with his disciples, but they don't realize it till they get pretty close. Number two, so far, every personal request made to Jesus is met with a question. And the last question to James and John is especially important to today's story. What is it you want me to do for you? So far, the disciples have argued about who's the most important, they've remained resistant to any talk of the cross, and they have presented themselves with an air of importance to everyone. These last two are just two of the latest examples, where James and John were like, hey, we'd like to be the you know most glorified of everybody, and then all the disciples saying, you kids, go away, go away. Those are just the most recent examples of their sense of self-importance. And number four, after being together... Now, now check this out. They were together for three intensive years with Jesus in ministry, apprenticing in ministry. They even were given the power to cast out demons, to heal the sick, and to, well, they didn't raise up any dead people, but they made people see again and walk around again. I mean, this was the real. God himself in the flesh three years. And here was how they were doing after three intensive years. Uh, they were afraid. They were perplexed. They were astounded. They were amazed by the teaching that Jesus was giving and the direction that they were headed in. So that doesn't feel like a lot of progress, right? After three intensive years with God himself 24-7. But, but You know, as I was talking about this with David, David said, well, you know, to be fair, (laughs) isn't that us too? I mean, isn't it true that we've been with the Lord for a long time, you know, and then maybe we'll read something in the Bible and we're like, wait, that wasn't there before. Or we'll, um, we'll pray about something. We'll say, okay, God, I think I've got the perfect solution because we've been together a lot and I think I know how you work. And so um, here's, here's what we should do. And then you get a phone call and it's like completely opposite. Or you're, you're really doing well, like you, you haven't said any bad words, you've been super kind to the people who annoy you, and you, uh, you do all the things that you're supposed to do, you've been super responsible and so on, and then something bad happens. And you're like, wait, God, wait, whoa, we've been together a long time, and I do not get this. This is actually kind of scaring me. This is making me perplexed, because I thought I knew the deal. Uh, I just can't see what's going on. So yeah, we, 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 we should be fair about that. But Jesus also gave three teachings to hang on to. And they were pretty simple, actually. First one, about the kingdom of heaven, you must enter as a child. Well, what does that mean? Well, uh, for one thing, it means not owning anything. Do you remember what it was like to be a kid? You had very few things that you could call your own. Um, You had to be completely vulnerable. Not because you wanted to be, because you just were. You were a kid. Uh, You had to be completely needy. Again, when we were kids, we didn't have very many resources, we were needy all the time. Like, you know, mom and dad were the ones who fed you. You couldn't, like, just go into the, depending on how old you were, into the kitchen and kind of drum up dinner by yourself or clean clothes or whatever else it is. Completely needy. Completely trusting in the ones who are supposed to take care of you. Totally. Because you had no choice. Right? That's being a kid. Teachable. Impressionable. Impressionable. And here's the one I think that really gets us as grown-ups, pliable, right? And uh, Jesus said, yeah, it's impossible to achieve on your own. But it's totally possible with God. Then here's the next teaching Jesus gave, another very simple teaching about leadership. Only those who serve may lead. So those who grab for uh, power and glory, people who take authority, take control or are not willing to share control or share authority. Um, That's the way Gentiles do it. And Jesus said, don't do it that way. You're going to be considered least in the kingdom. If you want to be the greatest, then you have to just be a servant. And then about his identity, uh, his calling. Jesus is the son of man, which means he's anointed of God. He's Messiah. He's uniquely human. He's also God. And as God and man, as fully God, fully man, he came to serve humankind, which is unlike all the other gods, by the way. If you've read mythology and so on, they did not come to serve. They came to be served. Okay, um, As God and man, he had come to offer the ransom that would free people to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So this was the way that God was going to make it possible. It's impossible for us. We can't get through that door, but God was going to make it possible. All right. All these are important Easter eggs. We're finally now Going to get to the story of Bartimaeus. All of these elements have been built into what's happening in Bartimaeus's story. We're going to reach critical mass, I promise. So let's read the story together. Uh, They came to Jericho, and as he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout and say. The blind man said to him, Rabboni, let me see again. And Jesus said to him, Go. Your faith has healed you, has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the way. Now, there's just some things that I'm not going to talk about in this story, but I just think they're so interesting. One of them is. Um, He throws off his cloak and he runs to Jesus. And I'm like, how did he do that? He couldn't see. He was like, I was trying to imagine how he managed to do that. Did the people help him get to Jesus or something? It's very interesting. Not going to talk about it. Um, uh, Another thing that happens here, um, he says, um, Rabboni, let me see again. Jesus says, you're well. And then he can see. Like, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? It's kind of catty Not going to talk about that either. But I just thought, that's so interesting, um, but here are we is what we are going to talk about. One of them, um, Shana, you brought in. Well done. This was a prophetic moment in Jesus' ministry, and Isaiah talked about it, and and I just wanted you to see, like, very few people would have missed that. Anybody who had Bible knowledge would have, would have thought of that right away, because because that's like, oh my, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. I mean, it's almost exactly what they said to him. So it's a prophetic moment. And I think that uh, the disciples were like, I think something important just happened because this story shows up in Luke's gospel and it shows up in Matthew's gospel. So it's an important story. This, by the way, is the last miracle of its kind that happens in Mark. So it actually is the climax to the whole story of Jesus. And that's why it's important to go through Mark and give you all those Easter eggs so you can see what Mark is doing with this story. It's actually a super important story. So anyway, let's talk about Jericho. Jericho was the final stop for pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem, which uh, was a day's walk. Now, you guys know that there's a Severna Park and an old Severna Park. You guys know that, right? And that there's an and in Annapolis, and then there's downtown, and there's Baltimore, but then there's you know Inner Harbor and so on. Well, there was a there was a Jericho and an old Jericho, so uh, it looks like Jesus, like, like like it was Jesus, went into Jericho, events occurred, and then he left Jericho. Actually, he was in between the two Jerichos. Um, that's just for free. Thought you might might want to know that. But anyway, um, it was a about a day's walk, from the holy city, and. And, and you had to go up a mountain. That's why people always talked about going up to Jerusalem, because it was up on this mountain. So it was a, it was a hard climb. But anyway, Jericho, that's, um, Dave and I took that picture a couple of years ago, and uh, it's just that pretty. Uh, situated near the Jordan River, it was surrounded by generous springs of water. It had been called the city of palm trees for thousands of years. Um, that's uh, evidently Elisha's well. If you want to hear about or learn about that, you can go back to wherever Elisha's story is in the Old Testament. Um, the word Jericho actually means fragrant. And in Jesus' day, Jericho had these uh, spreading plantations of sycamore trees and myrrh trees and balsam plants. And, and the air was filled with incense. The winds would take that incense and blow it all the way to the Mediterranean coast. So for thousands of years, Jericho had been known as fragrant. That's actually supposed to be the sycamore tree that um, Zacchaeus climbed. Huh. I mean, it is a really big tree in real life. Um, During Jesus' time, Herod's son, uh, Herod the Great's son, Archelaus, he continued his father's ambitious building program, and so he erected new fortifications in Jericho and a new palace. That um, is a mosaic that was recently uncovered in Jericho. I mean, this was a gorgeous city, just an eye-poppingly gorgeous, beautiful, fragrant city. Now, because of Moses' law, All the Jewish males had to go to Jerusalem, or they were required to anyway, required to go to Jerusalem for the three great feasts. Do you remember what those were? Passover, Yom Kippur, hmm, Day of Atonement, one more, Feast of Booths. Okay, so they had to go there for that. So Jericho's last stop, so they they, they were very well prepared for international travel. You can imagine like today be a place where there's lots of gorgeous hotels and so on. So they were used to this and they lay right on the caravan road between Damascus and Arabia. So even more so there are a lot of people always going through town, lots of rich people. So I want you to just picture this in your mind. It's one of the most prosperous cities in Judea. And so it attracted a lot of side hustles. Like Vendors selling food and clothes, and maybe sacrifices. There were money changers because it's international travel. Uh, definitely, there were tax booths on that caravan road. There were also kiosks where you could pay your temple tax uh, because it was right going right into Jerusalem. You didn't dare want to go into Jerusalem and not have taken care of your business because once you were there, you were in trouble. It's kind of like going to the DMV. Like you would never want to go to the DMV without your papers, right? That would just be dumb. So you, you didn't want to get into Jerusalem. And and not be ready, because if you had to deal with the temple kiosk and the temple selling sacrifices and so on, then you were really in Dutch. So that's, Jericho had a lot of that going on, a lot of side hustles. And there was a lot of good cheer, a lot of warmth, and of course a lot of religious good feeling, and of course money. So they were also beggars. Now, in Jesus' day, if you were disadvantaged, you were in trouble. So the way you got your living was that you just had to sit on the street and beg. And so that's what they did. So imagine this big, big avenue, and there's all these side hustles, you know, all these vendors, and hot dogs, hot dogs, get your popcorn. And then there were tax booths, and there were temple tax kiosks, and there were opportunists looking to make a gain some way. They're probably pickpockets, and there were beggars and so on. This is a jumble-bustle thing. And here we have Bartimaeus, and his name means son of Timaeus. That's actually in uh, the gospel. Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, it's kind of like saying it twice. But The reason why they did that is because it kind of sounds like a, another word that means unclean, and I just wonder if maybe he got nicknamed on occasion, son of the unclean. In any case, he's, his name really meant son of Timaeus, and uh, he had been going blind. He, he used to be sighted. Now now look in the text. You can see he lost his sight. He used to be sighted. At some point, he started going blind, and the culture of his time would have assumed that he had sinned in such an offensive way that God had taken away his sight as punishment. So this is a man who would not have gotten any compassion, any empathy, any help, because nobody would want to be associated with such an offensive sinner. I mean, he might have even been someone who had been earning a living at one point, maybe even married, maybe raising a family, and as he started going blind, he would have lost those things one by one. No one would have want to stuck around with a guy like that. We know from Matthew's Gospel that Bartimaeus was not alone, and, and just picturing it, common sense tells you there were lots and lots and lots of disadvantaged peoples of all kinds begging along this road because, of course, these people were going to be generous as they're going on their way to Jerusalem. And here's how they would do. Um, They would put a cloak, like everybody had a cloak. And in fact, no matter how poor you were, you'd want to have a cloak because if you were going to sleep rough, that was your mattress and your blanket at night, right, your sleeping bag. So you'd have a cloak and it'd be big enough that um, you could spread it out in front of you. And then if people drop coins in there, it'd be an easy thing to just kind of scoop them all together and tie them up in the corner of your robe, because, I mean, that's your living. So he has his cloak. He has it over his shoulders. He has it spread in front of him, just like all the other beggars. And he's sitting along with them all. And um, he probably had his hands out, um, come, please help me. And uh, here's the scene. Okay, so I got a picture for you. Jesus is walking through this beautiful, rich, aromatic city, Disciples are all around them. There's all this hustle and bustle of all these people. And I want you to think about it. It's festive. Um, you know, like maybe Annapolis Christmas Eve night or something. It's festive and it's loud. And even over that din, we hear, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, here's what's interesting. We call Jesus, Jesus all the time. Do you know This is the only person in the entire Gospel of Mark who ever called Jesus by his name. Isn't that interesting? Like, even his disciples didn't say, hey, Jesus. They called him rabbi. They didn't call him Jesus. That's so interesting. But now I want you to imagine the crowd getting stirred up because Jesus got called the son of David. That meant rightful king of Israel. And the truth is, Passover was a highly charged atmosphere politically. This is when all the zealots came out. It was so highly charged that the Roman prelate would move his headquarters to the Temple Mount, where the Romans had actually built a forest right near the temple, so that he could keep his eye on everybody who came in through the temple. And it was illegal during Passover for any Jew to carry any weapon of any kind. So actually, Peter with his two swords, he was a little bit of a lawbreaker there. There was no conceal and carry during Passover. And the people who hated the Romans especially hated them during Passover, which is all about God freeing Israel from their horrible oppressors. So to call Jesus, son of David, on the way to Jerusalem during Passover is like, imagine the crowd going wild on that one. Which, by the way, this is just a little parentheses. Now you know where they got their palms from because Jericho was known as the city of the palms, right? Because all the water, all the palm trees, they cut down palm trees. And now you know why they were going, son of David, king of Israel. That all started there with this blind beggar. All right, that's for free. Let's move on. Um, People have been trying to pressure Jesus to take his rightful crown. And that's the way they saw this whole phrase, son of David. But there's an even deeper meaning that Jesus was going to point out to the religious rulers in Jerusalem. It meant more than the Davidic royal dynasty. Um, It meant this. He said to them, what do you think of the Messiah? Whose son is he? And the religious rulers said, well, he's the son of David. And Jesus said to them, well, how is it then that David, by the Spirit, calls him Lord? Okay, how is it then? Saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David thus calls him Lord, how can he be his son? And no one was able to give him an answer, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. So, son of David was a really loaded phrase. It's another thing that his disciples didn't call him. So interesting. So, now that we're going to put it all together. Remember, I promised you we'd do this. I'm going to do this now. The disciples spoke sternly to the people trying to bring their children to Jesus. Now the crowd spoke sternly to Bartimaeus, who's trying to get Jesus' attention. That's that's on purpose, people. Mark wrote that way, on purpose. In both cases, Jesus took special note and commanded that they be brought near to him. Here's another thing. The rich young synagogue ruler, a very religious man, thought he was giving Jesus an honorific when he called him good teacher. Jesus didn't buy it. He said, no one is good but God alone. So what are you really saying? James and John, all they did was say rabbi. But Bartimaeus said, in effect, Jesus, my personal intimate friend, because I'm calling you by your first name, king of Israel, anointed one, Messiah, heir of David, yet God himself. And I want you to... Do you have that parade in mind, that big caravan of people, Jesus and the vendors and the blah, 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 they're all walking along? Now imagine they're, they're, they're processing along, you know, it's July 4th parade, and then all of a sudden the person in front stops. Everyone else stops too, right? They're all bumping into each other and like, wait, what, what? Jesus stops. That's what it says in Mark. He stands still. Boy, did that get his attention. Bring him to me. Jesus told the rich man, he had one thing left to do, sell everything, follow Jesus. It's so interesting, Jesus always gives these simple instructions, and you're like, well, it's too hard. It's hard for a different reason, then I don't get it. Jesus' teaching in that story left the disciples feeling very troubled and perplexed, and they wondered, how is anybody going to get into the kingdom of heaven then? You're just making it too hard. And Jesus told them, well, you have to come like a child. That's how you do it. Well, I know it's impossible, except with God, all things are possible. Now watch Bartimaeus. He cries out to Jesus, son of David. He makes a request. It's just an open-ended prayer. Have mercy. Please have mercy. Jesus calls him, and Bartimaeus reacts like a child. He jumps up. He runs to Jesus. He's blind. You know, you don't know how he's going to get there, but he's a kid. In his heart, he just runs. He willingly throws off all he had. I mean, he's with all those other beggars and opportunists. He just threw off his cloak and all the coins and his cloak. That's, that, that was his only possession. He threw everything he had and just ran to Jesus. Bartimaeus didn't worry that Jesus was going to judge him for his blindness. You know, a, a religious person might have said, Whoa, look at you. You must be quite a sinner. Oh, you say you used to see, and then you didn't. Ah, oh, God must really have something on you that he took that side away. Jesus could have said that. Bartimaeus didn't worry about it, didn't worry about being judged. Uh, He didn't worry about leaving his cloak and his money and everything he had behind. He just didn't worry about it. Somehow he figured, Jesus will take care of me, just like a kid might think. He didn't didn't worry that he wasn't worthy. You know why he didn't worry about that? Because he already knew it. He knew he wasn't worthy. He wasn't going to bring anything to the table. He just didn't worry about it. He didn't worry that Jesus would refuse him. I don't think it ever crossed his mind. He just trusted in Jesus and his goodness and his love. You know, it kind of reminds me of when Jesus told his disciples, look, don't worry, because my sheep know my voice and I know my sheep. I'm a good shepherd. They'll come. Here's Bartimaeus. He just came. Then Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? remember that was the big, important question? When he had asked James and John, they said, well, here's what we would like. We would like you to glorify us, please. We think we deserve that. And uh, Jesus said, you know what? That's just not mine to give. And in any case, you're asking for the wrong thing, and you're asking for the wrong reasons. You're asking for success and authority and glory. And the truth is, you're supposed to be setting aside all your privileges, just like I'm doing, so that you can give your life to others. And the reason why you're doing that is because you love me and because you love each other and because you love people. That's what you should be asking me about. And then Jesus said, now, now look, I-, I want you to know that's my cup. It's what I've come to do. And in the end, you're going to get it. You are going to sacrifice everything. You are going to love other people and serve them because you love me and you love each other and you love people. Now Jesus asks Bartimaeus the very same question. And here's what I think. Because remember, remember last week when, when, when James and John asked that question and the other disciples were like, hey, wait a minute. Well, that's not right. Uh, who do you guys think you are anyway? You know, like it really stirred them up. So Jesus asks the very same question. Here's, here, here's what I think all 12 of those guys did. Yeah, what are you going to say to that? So (laughs) Bartimaeus says, Rabboni, let me see again. And Jesus said, go, your faith has made you well. Now, there's a lot in there, that one little line. For one thing, the word Rabboni, it only shows up twice in the whole Bible. Shows up here. And it shows up when Mary of Magdala realizes it's Jesus risen from the dead in the garden. Isn't that amazing? Only twice in the whole Bible. And uh, it means my great teacher. It doesn't just mean teacher. It means my great teacher. And that shows you what was happening with Bartimaeus. I don't know why he lost his sight, but by losing his sight, he gained deep spiritual insight. It's kind of a scary prayer to make. God, I want deep spiritual insight. I wonder what I have to stop Looking at so that I can look at the things that are important. So we're going to come uh, to the this is the big sort of denouement. Believing is seeing. You guys have heard that before, right? Switching it around, seeing is believing, but no really. Uh, believing is seeing. Here's what the Pharisees didn't see. What they saw when they were asking their question was, how do I get out of a commitment? What they didn't see was God's intent for love and families. When the disciples were pushing the children away, what they saw were annoying people. What they didn't see were the childlike traits of the kingdom of heaven. The rich young ruler, he looked like a big win for the kingdom, right? Pinnacle of Jewish accomplishments. What the disciples didn't see was a man who thought more highly of himself and his wealth and his accomplishments than Jesus. And when the disciples looked at Jesus, this is the one that probably hurts the most. When the disciples looked at Jesus, they saw their own splendor. They saw their ticket to glory. What they didn't see was that Jesus was going to offer the ransom that made it possible for them to enter the kingdom of heaven. I think that's really important for us today to think about what the apostles didn't see. Bartimaeus had lost his physical vision, but he had gained spiritual vision. He could see who Jesus really was. But here's, this is even, like, he could see who Jesus really was. Yeah, okay, we get that but he could see who he really was. Everybody else saw a blind, dirty beggar who probably was so offensive to God that he took away his sight. But Bartimaeus saw himself as the intimate friend of Jesus. He saw himself as a disciple of Jesus, Rabboni. He saw himself as someone that Jesus might love and have mercy on. Boy, that's pretty rich. That's pretty rich. And so uh, I want to ask you, what do you see when you look at other people? Do you see a commitment you want to get out of? Do you see aggravation? Or do you see an opportunity to bring a little more grace in the world? Guys, we're the ones who have it, right? We've got grace. And I just want to ask you, do you have a little sum to spare? <laughs> Because, you know, when we put grace in the world, there's a little bit more. God's common grace, of course, fills the earth, but he's filled us with his grace, too. And he puts us in all these opportunities where we could just show a little more. Yeah. When you look at yourself, what do you see? Do you see someone who's judged? Do you see someone who's loved? And when you look at other, or let's see, when you look at Jesus, do you see Rabbi or Rabboni? So... Here's what I want to do. I want to give you a challenge. It's super, super simple, just like Jesus' teaching. Super simple. I want you to pray a prayer in every situation that you go in. And here's the prayer. Help me see. Lord, help me see. I want you to, when you look in the mirror, I, I should have done that this morning. Uh, because what I saw was a 58-year-old 50 year uh, aging woman who is looking kind of haggardly and uh, doesn't even fit in her her pretty blue pants, which is why I'm wearing jeans today. Uh, That's what I saw. I don't think that's what Bartimaeus would have seen if he could have looked in the mirror. What do you see when you look at yourself? What do you see when you look at other people? What do you see when you look at Jesus? Because what you see is going to drive what you think, what you feel, and what you do and what you say it's pray time right okay we're gonna pray (laughs) we're gonna pray oh lord god (laughs) we love our eyes well at least i love my eyes and i love my glasses because i love looking at stuff and yet i know that looking at all this stuff has kind of made me blind to things that really count and sometimes looking at stuff i get the wrong idea so god please help me see Help us all see with your eyes, your vision. Boy, wouldn't we love to have Bartimaeus' spiritual insight. And I don't know, sometimes maybe that means we've got to stop looking at other stuff. Maybe even let it go. Would you help us to do that? For your sake, because we do love you and we love each other. Gosh, we even love the other people too. Praise your glorious grace. Amen.